Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. True Blood, Season 1, Episodes 1 and 2. Bonus episode time! I haven't watched True Blood in a very long time. I was watching it when it was premiering, like when it was on HBO, new episodes, week by week I was watching. And I really like this show. It has a lot of nostalgia for me for that time period in my life, in my early 20s. Uh, But more importantly, like, it's so fun re-watching and revisiting True Blood and all these characters whilst we're in the middle of Buffy because it's so different. Yeah. So I guess True Blood came out in 2008. So this was, would have been just after our summer together at the Art Gallery. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, it's such a nostalgic time. So I time. met you pre-True Blood and then we reunited post-True Blood. <laughs> um, so I, I've known Steph before she got exposed to True Blood and also now that it's a part of your being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, vampires are life. They really are. <laughs> Any <laughs> yeah, medium so of vampire. I have watched some of True Blood in the past. When it first premiered in 2008, I watched probably the most of the first season if not the whole first season don't really remember it mm-hmm. don't really remember why i stopped watching probably it was just one of those things where you know it didn't hold my interest quite as much as other shows and i only had so much time to watch tv so i just didn't keep watching um it wasn't that i hated it or anything i just it wasn't a priority for me so when we were talking about okay what vampire thing do we want to do for our next bonus episode and you said true blood i'm like yeah, why not? Uh, let's do that. So we watched the first two episodes, or I should say I watched the first two episodes because <laughs> I follow the assignment instructions, Stephanie. I followed it. I just went above and beyond, and I watched most of season one. I think I watched up to episode 10. I mean, mind you, I watched the first two episodes very intently, and then I did other stuff, like clean the kitchen, and you know, <laughs> it was on my phone for the rest of no it. No spoilers, because I will keep watching. My okay. best friend, Rebecca, she and I are currently finishing up an Angel Watch where we have two episodes to go. And then when I mentioned that I was watching True Blood, she got really excited and suggested that we watch that together next. So I'm thinking, you know, it, it will take us a while to get through the series because we don't watch episodes together that frequently. But maybe a year or so from now, we'll come back, we'll do another bonus episode, and we'll check in on my progress through the series, and I'll be able to give you more of a... Uh, a comprehensive view of things because right now all I can do is talk about what I saw in the first two episodes, right? So anybody mm-hmm. who's watched all of True Blood like Steph, I'm sorry. You will find this either hilarious or cringy or both. Well, no, but correction, I dropped off after season five, I think. So I Ooh. haven't seen the ending. I've only well, seen the first so couple maybe, seasons. So maybe, 
yeah, so maybe you have to watch or maybe we'll just rewatch the whole series. And then, you know, at some point we will have watched the whole thing, both of us, and we can talk <laughs> about it. Or what Kara is trying to say is that we are going to cover True Blood episode by episode as soon as we're done, Buffy. <laughs> we're shifting right into Bon Temp, whatever it's called. <laughs> and we're going to watch this sensational romp of a vampire series. So speaking of the setting, Steph, I have prepared one of my wonderful summaries as I did for Twilight. Yes, 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 yes. Let's hear it. Two years ago, vampires revealed themselves to the world. Thanks to a synthetic blood substitute branded True Blood, no E, vampires need not feed off humans, although some still do and some humans still let them for the kicks or for money. Sookie Stackhouse is a waitress in Bonton, Louisiana. When the town's first vampire arrives, she's excited. Maybe too excited, even as most people close to her caution her to be careful because they're prejudiced. (laughs) The exception is Sookie's grandma, who is the coolest character on the show, and she better not get killed off anytime soon, Steph, or I will riot. (laughs) No spoilers. (laughs) And I've, I have very intentionally avoided spoilers. Great, um, yeah. I'm not going to spoil it for you. Bill the Vampire is broody. Beal. But not controlling broody like Edward or smoldering broody like Angel. More like <laughs> slightly spaced out Mr. Darcy broody. Oh, and Sookie can read minds, but not Bill's. Anyway, it's pretty clear that it's only a matter of time before Sookie and Bill smash. That's not a spoiler. Um, shooky, shooky. Here's okay. Now that I've wa- rewatched, you know, most of season one, but specifically the first two episodes, what I really like about True Blood is that it's so unapologetically itself. You know, like it's campy, it's over the top, it's sensational, it's sexual, and it's it's violent, and it's all these things. And they do a lot of things for shock value, but it means to. Like, it knows what it is. It knows the tone it wanted to set right off the bat. And I like that. I like that about it, right? And I think it's nice escapism. Um, if you're going to watch a Southern Gothic vamp show like this, this like, I'm signing up, right? I'm, I'm watching it. And as much as you might think a lot of it can be very, as I said, campy or hokey, maybe, you can't deny that you want to keep watching. Like, it's like, this is, okay, what is this That's show? Fair. I need to know. What else happens? I have to say, you know, I was somewhat taken aback by the sex and nudity in this show. I don't know why. Uh, It is an HBO show. You know, I've watched Game of Thrones. And I know that historically, this this is pretty tame for some of HBO shows. (laughs) So I I don't know why I was surprised. But I just wasn't (laughs) expecting that going in. And... You know, poor little Ace Kara is like, there's this one scene in the first episode where uh, Lafayette, this gay black chef at Sam's, is teasing Sookie about the power of the pussy. And a couple of the other servers get in on it. Uh, and Sookie's acting very uncomfortable because, of course, she's a she's a good Southern girl. She's saving herself for the right man. Um and like I, I was kind of like identifying with Soki in that scene. I'm like, yeah, this is this is mm, this is uncomfortable. And it's interesting to me because I I don't consider myself to be a prude, even though you know I'm asexual. Asexual people aren't necessarily prudish. 
And I don't see myself as a sex negative or even a sex repulsed person. But I don't know. It's weird. It's like this show in ways borders on softcore porn. But I guess because I'm not watching it for the pornographic aspect, the graphic sex feels much more jarring to me. I don't know if that makes sense. Buffy, we're not in Sunnydale anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that's another good point, right? Is, you know, having some graphic sex quite early on in the show, even just like that opening scene of episode one, where you have the couple driving down the highway and the, the woman who's driving is bored, apparently. So her solution is to give her partner uh, a hand job uh, mm-hmm. while she's driving. Very unsafe. Mm-hmm. That was what I was screaming at my television as I was watching the scene. Um, you know, and yeah, like the show opens very purposefully to establish that this is an adult show, right? This is not a show for kids um, and also not a show for teenagers, although let's be real, teens watch HBO all the time. Yes, uh, that's a really good point. And you'll notice that the sex scenes that we watch in episodes one and two, they happen between humans, right? Like we know from analyzing Buffy and just from the vampire trope in literature and in fiction in general, that vampires equal sexuality vampires have always been associated with sex yet it is the humans in this show that are getting it on the most well there is that one sex tape that jason gets to watch with maudette look Mm -hmm. at me remembering all these names i'm so proud of myself good for you good for you um uh he gets to watch the sex tape of her having sex with a vampire and there's like the the freaky effects of the vampire's head like twisting and stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but for the first couple of episodes i mean I, not a huge spoiler but a, f- a first couple of episodes uh that's the only vampire we see having sex and then they allude to the sex a lot and like the fang bangers whatever they're called but uh mostly it's jason <laughs> having sex um but yeah it's definitely something that is shocking it can be very shocking especially in how gratuitous it is softcore porn is a good way to describe it but this is the thing it's like you're saying this is not your grandmother's vampire show this is not your child's vampire show buffy is a is a show for teens and it was on the WB. They're right. not going to show this kind of stuff. But HBO has no problem showing it. And honestly, like, this is kind of what I like about True Blood is because it it takes no prisoners. It's like, we are a vampire show. And a great vampire show involves blood, sex, and cursing. <laughs> <laughs> right? And they really want to do justice to that. So have you read any of the books? No, no. I, I don't even know what they're called. Are they called like the Sookie Stackhouse series or something? Yeah, that's right, by Charlene Harris. And yeah, so I, I'm curious um, how explicit the books are sexually. I, I'd be curious to know that. Like, did HBO sex up the show or does mm-hmm. the show have, the, do the books have explicit sex scenes like this? Again, I'm not judging here. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to like calibrate myself, especially if, I, if I'm going to watch the rest of this series um oof, i gotta prepare myself for certain things but yeah i i also longtime listeners will know that i'm i have some prosopagnosia some face blindness when it comes to our dashing brunette male leads on shows like buffy i keep saying angel and xander look the same to me and apparently that rankles people you will be pleased to know that this time it was the blondes that were confusing me specifically the blonde men in the show It took me at least an episode, if not an episode and a half, to figure out that 
Jason was Jason. Like, I thought he was different people at different times. I was like, how many blonde dudes are there? Do you, do you not see faces? Like, <laughs> No, I do see faces, but I get confused, especially because at some points he's naked. And I'm like, is this the same person as the guy who wasn't naked? Is this the same cursed person as the guy in the opening scene? You're, like, you're confusing the same character over and over again. You're like, who is this yes. person? This new I, introduction to a at new first, character. I thought there were a bunch of different short-haired blonde guys. And I'm like, <laughs> this is too many short-haired blonde guys for me. And then I realized that actually they were the same person, except the opening scene with that couple. That's not Jason. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So I just, I'm sorry. Um, I think what didn't help, and this would be one of my criticisms, is the first two episodes, especially the first episode, and maybe this is because it's a pilot, they're very scattered in the storytelling. You know, the, they jump from scene to scene, from uh, subplot to subplot frenetically and and especially in that first episode i was having a little bit of a hard time following what was going on and the timing of different events so i'm curious to see as the series goes on does that storytelling structure continue in which case i might struggle a bit or maybe i adapt to it uh or does the show settle down a little bit I don't think it ever settles down, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> like, I think that's kind of the roller coaster that you're signing up for when you're watching this show. And I wonder if they, if that's a stylistic choice to just really throw you into this be. world. Because the opening credits, which I'm given to understand from the intense research I did, by which I mean reading the True Blood Wikipedia page, mm -hmm. the opening credits are quite renowned, but they have that same kind of aesthetic to them, right? It's a whole bunch of shots put together in sequences set to music meant to invoke the Southern U.S. Um, but there's very little narrative coherence to the opening credits, and it has nothing to do with vampires. Because I think you really hit on something earlier, Steph, which is this show isn't necessarily about vampires. This is a show about humans and sex mm -hmm. and conflict especially like relationship drama, the vampires are just like an excuse for some of that drama. And they, all, they also stand in for, for marginalized groups, which is something I'd like to get into in a bit. Yeah, completely. I, I find a lot about True Blood interesting because it does focus on the humans and again, like the supernatural elements come in and enhance everything. But a lot of it is about unleashing yourself, right? Like it's about mm. letting yourself go in a lot of different ways. And I think the the opening title credits, uh, which is uh, the, the song is called Bad Things by Jace Everett. And it's so good. You know, da -da -na 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 -na. like I want to do bad things to you. And, and you're so right, because the way that it's shot together, like some clips are really fast, some are slow. Um, they're mixing together all of this religious um, iconography. And then there's like sex and violence and the scenes of death and rotting corpses or rotting animals. And I think that just goes to show that, yeah, this show is going to be a bit chaotic, but it, there's also that dichotomy between the American South, that small town Bible worshiping group of people, but then the depravity of like sex and drugs yeah. the seedy nature of all that so i think that's really interesting about the opening credits and it is setting up the tone for the show to be like this is not just about vampires this is actually about the deep self and culture right but yeah it, it can be quite jarring when you put all of those things together to make the opening credits i like it a lot yeah so let, let's talk a little bit about the setting here because 
like you said, it, it is very much about the Deep South. It's of the Deep South. Um, you know, we as Canadians, I think we probably have a very stereotypical understanding of the southern United States. <laughs> Mine's based and, off True Blood and what True Blood showed me. <laughs> right. Well, and th- this show probably doesn't help with that. <laughs> you know, we have characters who are very much obsessed with the Civil War and uh, characters that are either self-described or other characters describe them as rednecks. So <laughs> it's interesting to me. I don't have enough knowledge of TV to talk to this with any level of like accuracy. But I'm curious about True Blood's place in the continuum of shows set in the Deep South, set in a rural part of America, right? Because when you think about TV shows set in contemporary America, so many of them are set either on the East Coast in like New York or Boston or Philadelphia or on the West Coast in Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego, right? And then once in a while, you might get some set in like Seattle, um, in, in other urban areas. So I'm just, what I'm curious about, and I don't have the answer for this, is is True Blood just one of a long line of shows that decided to depart from that and, and go to the rural South? Or is it sort of one of the earlier shows that that the big shows that that does that right so i'm thinking of other shows like treme which was set in new orleans uh which has like a, that similar thing of being set in the south and making the the south such an important environment for storytelling yeah i don't have the answer to that either i honestly off the top of my head can't think of too many shows that um are featured in the south where was breaking bad set that was in new mexico Right, yeah. So, like, mm. these days it seems like they're branching out in terms of geography in the <laughs> States. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm just curious about that because the Deep South is very much like a character of this show. And you, you see these different characters. Something I really noticed, um, the show really talks about, like, racial dynamics. We have two, I don't know if you'd call them main characters, Lafayette and Tara, who are yep, black. they're main characters, yep. Um, and, and Tara really likes to use her blackness in interesting ways. Um, you know, when we first meet her, she quits her job at a store, uh, and storms out. And she's very much the embodiment of that stereotype of angry black woman. Um, but the show does that right. So that then it can subvert our expectations of her in other ways. You know, she's really sensitive. She has this unrequited love for jason which just i'm just like no girl like (laughs) why he's not that into you and he's not worth it like well i think they did a really good job with that dynamic because i also was like tara why i forgot that she was into jason uh but then i realized because they did a flashback in the second episode of him protecting her when she was young from her mother who is an alcoholic and i'm like oh i see and like they i think they did a good job of building tara's character in the second episode not so much the first because i understand where she was coming from from there like they have a she does have a connection to jason it's misguided for sure but she sees him as a bit of her protector and then in some ways i think she she protects him i thought that they built her feelings about jason really well like i understood where she was coming from and like you said when we first meet her yeah the angry black woman stereotype but she's actually very fragile and there's a lot going on with her that i liked a lot absolutely there's one scene i saw 
where she comes home. She lives with her mom, right? And she's eating cereal. It's like Fruit Loops. I think she's eating it dry, and she heaped extra sugar on it. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh my god, you are Maybe not that's okay. the South. <laughs> Maybe that's the Deep South. I don't know. I mean, that is, uh, that is true. They have like you know, like sweet tea down there. Yeah, Ooh, so yeah. much sugar. I think. Tara is an example. Lafayette is like my favorite character. Um, but a lot of these characters, I think, are really believable. Like, I actually believe from just the, these first two episodes that I'm in Louisiana. I'm in a small town. Just based on the way that they are portraying these characters, making them real people. Like, I feel like they're real people that you would go to a small town in that area and you go to the diner and you might see somebody like this. Sure. Yeah. The, the other thing that I thought was interesting about how the characters and setting kind of played off each other were the gender dynamics and how, you know, for the most part, the gender roles seem very rigid, right? We have these macho masculine figures like Jason and Renee, Sam to some extent, right? Like they all want to protect the women uh, and do well by them. And of course, Jason is this just like super sexual horn dog. Mm -hmm. And then you have these female characters who know how to use their sexuality, right? And exploit that and know how to use their attractiveness. Um, and then Sookie's kind of in the middle there because we, we see obviously that she experiences sexual attraction and desire, but her experiences, including the, the result of her telepathy, is that she's really had a hard time forming any kind of romantic or sexual connection with other people and you know she is on the one hand aware of the fact that she is attractive but on the other hand she she holds herself back and it's interesting to me i'm curious to know as i continue on in this series you know what is the series saying about the value of chastity because in this show at this point, right, Suki is a chaste character. Whether or not she intends to be, whether or not she stays that way, um, she's a chaste character and is quite privileged in that sense. Whereas these other characters, like Jason, uh, are being punished for having sex. <laughs> um, you know, and that just reminds me of like the whole dynamic in Buffy, where it's like Buffy got punished for having sex. And now here we have a show that is all about the sex, but the main character at, at this point, at least, is not having sex. Well, and, and they, you know, many times they call her a good girl. Lots of people are calling her a good girl. Like, Suki's a good girl, you know? Um, yeah, and the question is, will she remain that way? Yeah, there's this expectation, right? Um, you know, all these people, all the white Christian older men who are calling her a good girl, right? It's that expectation on women across our society, but especially in places like the southern U.S., where, you know, you're expected to be a good girl. But I think from what we see in the opening credits and also in some of the other female characters, there's this undercurrent of like you're expected to be a good girl. But if you can get away with being sexy and also pretend to be a good girl, that's even better. <laughs> Again, I don't know. Maybe that's how the South is. Because <laughs> who's going to these bars and strip clubs and stuff? It's the old white Christian guys who are also turning around and saying that the women shouldn't be horse. Yeah. And Double standard. Hey, that goes back to the opening credits, right? Like we're showing you like, look at how good everybody is and chaste everybody is on the surface. Right. But then 
<laughs> come, come nighttime, everyone gets a little wild. What I see about Suki and the way that they depict her at the beginning versus how she progresses throughout the show, but especially in season one, I also wonder if uh, one of the choices, maybe in the books, this is how it is too, but one of the choices to keep her that way is so that her connection to Bill when she meets him is that much stronger because she, like you said, she's never connected sexually or romantically with any boy because she can read their minds and all the boys are pigs, right? They're all Xanders. <laughs> but when she meets Bill, who's, how old is he? Like 120 years old. Um, he's got that very old school Southern, what would you call it? Like Southern politeness. You know, he, I'm going to meet your grandmother before I take you on a walk. And like that kind of charm to him. But more importantly, she can't read his mind. So I do wonder if one of the reasons to keep her, uh, you know, quote, virgin and naive and inexperienced is to make that connection to Bill that much mm. stronger when she meets him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I also wonder if it it's done because Bill's character is that of the Southern gentleman. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think. Right. Of, yeah. And he previously, we learn in episode two, he was married and he had kids mm -hmm. and now he has survived them because of his undead status. It would be less in character of him to be attracted to um, a young woman who has been, you know, ruined and hasn't saved herself um, <laughs> because we see these elements of like Southern courtliness in Bill, right? He wants to call on Suki and he's very courteous to Suki's grandmother, the matriarch of the family. Yes. Love the grandmother. I know I said this. I love Grand. when she like stands up to Jason. She's like, not in my house. You yeah. know? Like, yeah. This is my house, Jason. <laughs> right? Like, she's just so powerful. And I love how Bill recognizes that and respects that. You know, he knows the proper way to go about courting Suki. He recognizes that her grandma not only is the matriarch, but also is very important to Suki herself. And so, yeah, I think you're right. Like, the dynamic is the way it is to set up their relationship. Well, yeah, and, and to even make though it I, different. I haven't seen much of their relationship yet, I can see where it's going. <laughs> we can, we have a couple of tastes, don't we? I actually, I mean, okay. When I watched this when I was younger, I never really was into Bill. Um, he's a little bit scruffy. Yeah, yeah, he's a Confederate. <laughs> and like, I just. Was he a Confederate? Yeah, wasn't he? I could be confused. No, no you're right. I yeah. I, well, I guess yeah. The the first two episodes never explicitly state which side he fought on, right? Because not not everybody in a southern state fought for the Confederacy, right? True. Um, but you're right. I think the implication based on how like Grandma talks about his family and well, his father yeah, owns slaves. You're right. Slaves. I think they were fighting on the side. Well, and his yeah, his father owns slaves. You're yeah, right. Yeah. So that I mean, so well, going back to what I was saying, I don't. I was never really into Bill, but I did appreciate. I, like, I did understand, and I liked Suki and his relationship together. Uh, which I mean, you don't know if they're going to embark on one yet. That's not a spoiler, Kara. Uh, but one thing that I really liked in the second episode when he takes her on the walk, and maybe it's because we just got over like doomed and all these lines from Riley <laughs> in season four of Buffy, like we're right in the mix of this. But he says like two things that I was like, oh my God, I really love these lines. Well, one is when he says, I can like, I can smell the sunshine on your skin. And then later he tells her like, I can, like, she's like, well, what, you're not a good vampire. Like, what can you do? And he says, I can bring you to life. And I think these are just really good lines that are setting up this really great romantic dynamic between them. But it's also, again, 
focusing on why Bill is more interesting to Suki than any of the human men that she's come across in her town. Because I think Suki's mm. like, I think she's supposed to be 25, like 24 or 25. Like she's not a girl. Right. Like she's, her brain's fully developed. And I like that. And again, that's another distinction between the show and Buffy, right? Is the show is not a coming of age show. It's not Suki becoming herself. She is already very much herself. She's already an adult. I really like how the show from the first episode, from, you know, first couple of scenes is like, yeah, she can read minds and it's just like deal with it. Right. Like <laughs> there's no explanation. We get a flashback in the second um, episode during that walk. I like how the show does flashbacks, how it's like zooming into the character's head yeah, and yeah, then yeah. zooms out. Um, so we get a flashback where we see her as a kid and her parents fretting over this, you know, psychic ability but it, it's still not explained why she's telepathic, right? Like, is she some kind of supernatural creature herself? Is yeah. this, like, a magic thing? None of this stuff is really explored, at least for now. And I think that's really intriguing. I like how the show does that, right? Is It doesn't start with her discovering this ability, like, in terms of... It, it's very similar to Buffy in that way. And it's like, Buffy knows she's the Slayer from the first episode of the TV show. Suki knows she's telepathic from the first episode of the TV show. It's just a part of her life. Her close friends and family know it's a fact as well. I thought that was really intriguing. I really like that. Yeah, and it's a slow reveal too over the next couple of seasons. But Bill is the one that notices this in her in this episode, right? He's like, what are you? Like, who are you? Mm -hmm. Right. Because he know he knows there's something special about her. So I think they are doing a really good job in the pilot here of planting seeds for reveals much later down the road. And we know from watching Buffy and just from being um, avid watchers of shows and um, people who take in this content pretty often that this is a great way to tell stories. You know, you don't give it all away at the beginning. You got to make us wait for it and build it slowly. And this is one of the things about the show that's really satisfying, in my opinion. Absolutely. What I also want to say, the difference between Buffy and this show is something that we've already just touched on, is that the age difference between Buffy versus Suki, right? Buffy, we meet her when she's 16. Uh, Suki's already very much a, a woman, 25, 26. And um, <laughs> I say this. And it probably comes off more cheeky than I mean it. But a lot of the times on TikTok or on our comments when people are just like, the age gap makes me uncomfortable. And I just say like, well, then watch True Blood. Like True Blood is meant for adults. You know what I mean? And like the vampires and Buffy are meant to be metaphors. We know this. They, they represent metaphors of um, things that people face growing up and why, you know, high school's is a hell and all these things. But in True Blood, the metaphor is not really there. The metaphor for these vampires is more about them being outsiders and minorities. Yes. And yeah. sure, Bill awakens the sexual side of Sookie. Does he ever? Does he ever? Like, honestly, okay. Sex dreams much? Well, I mean, Buffy had sex dreams with Angel. Sookie has sex dreams with Bill. That's just what vampires do, okay? But um, I read the creator, Alan Ball, when... Suki and Bill are having their moment in the restaurant. And the first time he ever says, Suki, or whatever, um, he told 
Anna Paquin, who plays Sookie, um, when he says that to you, you're supposed to feel it. Like, she feels it in her vagina. Like, that's where she feels him say that word. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes. More. Um, so you can see it in her face when he says it, right? He goes, he goes, Sookie. And, like, Anna Paquin plays that on her face. She's like, this guy is turning me on. And that, like, they have an instant sexual chemistry. That scene is very fascinating to me because mm-hmm. I noticed that one of the cinematography the choices in this series when it comes to camera shots they do a lot of close-ups a lot of um shots where it's not even just somebody's head it's their face and that's really noticeable in that scene that you just mentioned where it's bill and Suki sitting across from each other at a, a table in the bar and rather than us seeing a shot that's the two of them or an over the shoulder shot that shows the other person most of the shots go back and forth between like just her face, her mm-hmm. eyes and nose and mouth, just his face, so not the whole head, or their hands, it enforces an uncomfortable level of intimacy between the viewer and these characters. And it reinforces what you were getting at, which yeah. is their conversation is so intense and so intimate for people mm-hmm. who have just met. And and we we know that everybody else in the bar, literally everybody is watching this happen listening to this conversation but aside from a few quick cutaways we don't see them reacting to the conversation we just see Suki and bill and earlier i said bill looks spacey and kind of um scruffy because he's got this weird kind of look to him where he's he's not quite put together Mm -mm. um but he's i don't i don't know what's going on there and then Suki's very interesting because anna paquin has a very uh, distinctive face, right? Like she's got her eyes and her eyebrows, um, especially when her hair is pulled back. You know, her expressions, I think like when her face lights up, when she's really excited about something or when she's really scared or angry, those emotions come across very vividly on her face. Yeah, no, lots of, uh, as we say in, when we're watching Buffy, lots of face acting <laughs> happening yeah. here. But no, she's so expressive. And I actually, I, I wonder if, actually, I don't know what people think of Suki. I really like her as a as a heroine, as a protagonist. I have a good first impression. I like that she can take care of herself, right? Yeah. Like, she didn't hesitate. She ran out when she saw that Bill had been kidnapped. She ran out there by herself. She found a chain and, like, whipped a chain around <laughs> this guy who pulled a knife on her. Like... That that is heroic, you know. Well, and she's she's infectious. Like like you're saying, it's it's the way her face is. Like I've never seen anyone that looks like her. She's like I love her voice. I think that everything that she does, like I can't take my eyes off her when she's on screen. And that's why she was casted in this role because she's so dynamic to watch. Like if we're gonna compare her to like say Sarah Michelle Gellar, who does an excellent job as Buffy, Sarah Michelle Gellar doesn't command my attention the way that. Anna Paquin does in this role and of course different scripts different setting everything's different but I I literally cannot pull my eyes away from her when she's on screen yeah (laughs) one thing I I do want to talk about more is like the difference in vampires (laughs) between these two shows we we should totally talk about the vampires right this the show has some vampires in it I believe I think the show has a little bit of vampires in it for sure uh what I love the most about the vampires in this show is that their teeth retract and they have a whole culture around them where obviously they've wanted to stay secret and they have all these little tricks 
uh, to stay secret in society until the last two years. But it's their teeth because they retract like snake teeth, right? They're, they're like, they, they fold in almost and they come out only when they need them. But it's like a way to help them hide in human society. And that makes me think of them as so much more animalistic than the vampires on Buffy, which are demons, right? They're other creatures. Sure, the same thing. But I just like how human the vampires in True Blood really are. They're they're so close to you and I, but they're not, you know? And I think that's a lot more interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I like how... Again, we don't learn a ton about vampire lore in this show. We learn that silver hurts them. Uh, we're told they can't go out in the sunlight, but we're not. I don't know to what extent that's true yet. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they they live, quote unquote, live quite a long time. But yeah, like we're gonna have to learn vampire lore gradually over the course of this series. I can tell, which I really like, and it's interesting to me how. The vampires, you know, they, some of them just want to fit in. Like Bill just seems to want to fit in. He says, I intend to make this town my home, you know. Um, Some of them don't. We know some of them are more interested in just like having sex uh, and, you know, drinking from humans that'll let them drink from them and stuff. So that's interesting to me. I really like how in this show, vampires feel less supernatural in the sense that this show is not about the apocalypse, right? So in Buffy, it's, well, you know, there's the master and he's got an evil plan and she has to stop the apocalypse. And then Angelus wants to cause the apocalypse. (laughs) And then, you know, uh, the mayor also causing the end of the, like, it's just Buffy's always fighting this larger supernatural threat and vampires are a part of that because they're demonic creatures. Yeah. And in this series, at least from the first two episodes that I've seen, vampires just exist they're just part of the natural order of the world but they are people ultimately right and they have varying allegiances and priorities and motivations and maybe there are some maybe there's like a secret society of evil vampires out there but at the same time it's like as far as i know there's no like big bad out there that's like i want to end the world right like in, in my mind, the big bad, if there is one, if there's like a secret vampire society, it's like that blonde woman on TV yeah, uh, that clearly had a hit put out on the Reverend. <laughs> um, you know, like that's what we're supposed to believe. And I mean, she's she's a short haired blonde lady in a pantsuit. So even if she weren't a vampire, she'd be evil. Right. Like, <laughs> it's like Karen. Um, um, yeah, there, there's really no other vampires like these vampires. And that's why I like them. Right. Like we watched Interview with a Vampire. Those guys are very old school. Like they sleep. Um, well, I mean, these vampires do sleep in their coffins, we find out later, but um, like very following the Dracula rules, right? And then we have the Buffy vampires, which have their own type of lore. And then these vampires, like we keep saying, like they, they are like humans. And I it, this show is forcing us when we're watching it to throw out everything that we thought about vampires. And they do that in the conversations that Suki's that Suki's having with Bill, right? Like, yeah, we can touch crosses. Like they don't they don't bother us. We can drink holy water. It's just water to us. Like this is such a cool way to come at a vampire show. It's like we've rewritten the book. Twilight did the same thing, but like, you know, Twilight was for children. <laughs> Where this show is just like 
I like that it forces us as an audience to expand our minds a bit, just like when it comes to thinking about people who are from different cultures or whatever, like it's doing the same thing where it's like, think this is what you think. This is the stereotype of what you're thinking about this particular type of person. Now expand that and allow those boundaries to fall down so that you can actually get to know these people for who they really are. Was Twilight for children, Stephanie? I felt like I, I thought Twilight was for middle-aged cougars. Twilight is for me at any age that I happen to be at. <laughs> um, but you know, like this show premiered um, just just like you and I know because Twilight premiered when we met in two thousand nine or something, or right out right after, right before. So yeah, so this is the same thing. I think it premiered the that same. That was year. such an eventful year, right? It's just a vampires galore. So. Um, yeah, I just I just really like the vampires and their depiction in this show. And I, I also think it's so interesting because, you know, like we're saying, Bill's a little bit unkempt. That, yeah. yeah. Unkept. Scruffier, um, that's what I've been saying. Scruffier, uh, not he living. He needs to remember to brush. Can they see their reflections? Yeah, they can. Well, then he has no excuse. He needs to remember <laughs> you got to brush your hair. Just run a comb through it, Bill. It's not that hard. It's not that messy. It's just he doesn't brush his hair. And like... Button up your shirt properly, my dude. <laughs> but it comes into like Bill's personality too. Like you said, Southern gentleman and like the politeness of him. Um, he does feel like he's from a different time. And that's probably why he looks scruffy. Maybe like that's how they were back then. Um, and then when we meet later vampires down the line, like in later in the season, um, all of them do feel like they are from an, a different time period where the mm. vampires and Buffy don't like angel's a modern vampire to me like yeah we know he's old we know he's over 200 and they do flashbacks to him back in the day but like you know his modern right, haircut he has the longer hair and yeah. some of them, he has a really bad mustache yeah 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 so so yeah. these vampires aren't too concerned with that like they're from a different time and they they show that a lot of the time you know yeah all right um yeah let's talk a little bit about the vampires as metaphors for marginalized communities you know I have a lot of thoughts about this. I'm curious about your thoughts, Steph. Um, watching these episodes hit me a little harder than I expected because of what is currently going on in the States and also in part in Canada. You know, this show is 12 years old. I'm oh, sorry. This show is 14 years old. And during that time, we experienced an interesting um progression of rights for queer people you know in 2014 we had the so-called transgender tipping point it felt like things were getting better for a while and now here we are in 2022 and we have states in the u.s criminalizing gender-affirming care we have organizations banning trans people from competing in sports especially trans women um we have right-wing groups running for school boards, campaigning against so-called critical race theory being taught in schools, even it's not actually being taught in schools. Here in Canada, in Ottawa, we have somebody running against the only trans school board trustee and, and using transphobic rhetoric in his platform. And we have groups in uh, both Canada and the U.S., like right-wing fascist groups shutting down pride events out of bigotry so you know i feel like the pendulum has swung back and maybe we're closer to how things were in 2008 and as i watch people attack me uh, attack my identity uh, as an asexual aromantic and trans woman 
you know, and then I watch the show and I watch how the characters treat the vampires with a lot of prejudice, right? And there's this subplot of a vampire rights act that's possibly going to be passed because this is back in the time when uh, the United States Congress was still able to pass legislation. Um, It hit me really, like I had a tough time with some scenes in this episode because I'm just like, oh, like this is the way that trans people are treated in certain parts of the country today. Yeah, yeah. And I was very curious to hear what you would think about that aspect of the show, because it's not something when I watched it when it first aired, um, it's not something I, I, I thought too, too much about. So it did take me back as well, rewatching it this week and being like, wow, there's so many parallels to what's happening now. And yeah. I, I know that they do deal with uh, Lafayette. Um, I, I can't remember if it's in the second episode or not, but like he does face some discrimination and some bullying later on. But the focus is not so much on the racial aspects of the South or like you're saying, like the transphobic or homophobia aspects. Uh, it's all put onto these vampires. And that's the parallel. Well, it's not subtle. Right? Like, yeah. that's the thing. That's what's interesting to me. So much of science fiction and fantasy uses fictional races, creatures as stand ins for oppressed and marginalized groups. So True Blood is not unique in that, right? But it, it is very obvious. It's, it's definitely made for an audience that maybe doesn't always engage with this stuff. Because again, as we were kind of saying in, in this review, True Blood is not a show about vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, the vampires are just part of the show. And I think that's part of what made it appeal to more of an audience than people who might say, they might turn their nose up at something like Buffy or Twilight or The Vampire Diaries and be like, I don't watch supernatural shows. I don't watch shows about vampires. But then they come to True Blood and they get sucked in to the the soap opera nature of some of these plots. And because the vampire aspect, at least for the first two episodes I saw, it is somewhat toned down, um, you know, that's interesting to me. And I think maybe the show is trying to do that on purpose so that as the series goes on, not only can they introduce more supernatural aspects to this series, but they're kind of hooking people in and saying, okay, now we're going to take you on this journey and we're going to talk about marginalization and oppression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to teach you about it in a way that maybe you wouldn't, you know, like the, I'm talking about like they're trying to capture that audience that would never watch uh, Glow, would never watch um, what's the the other one? I'm sorry. I'm totally blanking. Well, yeah, like, and like I said, like I wasn't looking for that stuff when I was, you know, 22 and watching the show, but... Um, look at, I'm getting the messages from it, regardless of whether or not I'm looking for them or not. Like they're still there. Um, one of the most in your face scenes uh, from the first two episodes was when Bill first walks into the bar and everyone's like, oh my God, like it's our first vampire. So he's like, oh, I've been waiting like two years. They came out of the, they came out of, I was gonna say they came out of the closet. They came out of the coffin. And this is the moment I've been waiting for. And she's immediately interested in talking to somebody like this. But everybody else in the bar is scared and standoffish. And they're like, you know, it's very much, yeah, you do you. Like for Sam, for example, the character of Sam who owns the bar, you know, he's very much like, I don't care if they're out of the coffin or not. I just don't want them here. 
right? And I think that's um, a really great example. Pose. That's what I was talking about. Pose. It's a show about ballroom culture. Okay. Um, right. So like you, it, it has a lot of like trans characters in it and queer characters. And so there are people who would never watch Pose mm-hmm. in a million years, but right. they would watch True Blood. And, and so, yeah, exactly what you're saying, right? I agree with you about that. And yeah, there's another scene, I think it's in the second episode, where Suki has a conversation with the sheriff and the coroner. They're being very patronizing and paternalistic towards her. And the, the way they talk about Bill, they're like, he shouldn't even be here, right? He shouldn't live here. Yeah. Again, it's that parallel to how the same type of people would have said the same thing about black families living there about 50 or 60 years prior. Um, and now in 2022, people are saying the same thing. <laughs> Yeah. about trans people and even gay people because of this backlash and it's just it's interesting it got to me it affected me more than i thought it would yeah and i'm curious to see what happens as the show moves forward how they deal with these things because my one concern is when you locate your metaphor for marginalization in a supernatural creature like vampires you run the risk of reinforcing this idea that marginalized groups, whether they're racialized or queer or disabled or whatever, are, you know, capital O other, right? Do you see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Where it's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And, and that's what I think what really got me was there's this one line, it's during the graveyard walk, where Suki's saying like, she doesn't, like, like, like she's talking with Bill and she's like, you really don't see yourself as human, do you? And Bill's like, I'm not human. Sorry, I think Bill has a Batman voice. Um, he doesn't. Um, I'm not Bruce. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, but that's the thing, right? Is that is the difference? Is in this show, vampires, or at least Bill the vampire, doesn't see himself as a human being. He is a person, and obviously he wants to be perceived as a person, but he doesn't see himself as connected to the human species. Whereas the groups that these vampires are a metaphor for we are still human, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think that is a danger that shows like this um, have to 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 look out for. And it's hard to comment on that having only seen the first two episodes. So as I keep watching, I'm going to keep an eye out for like, how well does the show do at avoiding some of those pitfalls? Yeah. Well, I think down the line, it, it really, you know, jumps the tracks, <laughs> you know? Um, okay. However, however, um, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think that's where the show allows itself room in saying that, well, you know, as much as we're trying to bring these, these vampires down to the human world, they're still vampires. They're still supernatural. And that's how I think they try to get away with that. Mm-hmm. One positive thing I will say for, I guess, the series overall, but you've already mentioned it a bit for this, the first couple episodes and into season one, that vampires coming out of the coffin and fighting for their rights, that actually ends up inspiring other marginalized groups within this particular reality to then come out as well. And I think that's something that is a might be a more positive metaphor for what happens in real life when, you know, some people fight for their rights and then that helps make room for other people to start fighting for their rights as well. So that happens in the show, which is, which is um, actually one of the better parts of it. Cause obviously as the seasons go on, we start meeting more and more supernatural creatures that are coming out of their closets or coffins, we should say. 
Yeah. And I, I also like how, as much as the show certainly has some characters who are stereotypically prejudiced, like the sheriff, mm-hmm. who is, you know, an older cis white straight man, a lot of the characters are much more complex, right? So like Tara is very aware of the role of racism in her life and in the Deep South. I love how she challenges Bill. She's like, did you own slaves? Right? Like so for, forthcoming about that. I think the show does a better job of dealing with that question than um, <laughs> Interview with the Vampire did. Um, yep. <laughs> but, you know, Tara, at the same time, even though she also experiences discrimination, is very prejudiced against Bill as a vampire. Yeah. And in contrast, you see a character like Sookie's grandmother, and often we think of older white people as being more likely to be prejudiced but, you know, she has no problem with Tara and she has no problem with Bill the Vampire, right? Like she is one of, as I, as I kind of tongue in cheek said in my summary, she's one of the few characters in this show who trusts Sookie um, to conduct herself wisely with Bill and doesn't condemn Bill and prejudge him because he's a vampire. Yeah, she's a great example, for sure. That's why I love Grant. She's the best, and nothing will ever happen to her. She will live a long and healthy life. Thanks for reassuring me, Steph. I'm, I'm glad I've got seven seasons of Grandma to come. <laughs> you sure do. And her love story with Bill is actually a compelling one that I can't wait for you to watch. <laughs> well, so I had this thought before it was revealed that he was a Compton and not a Stackhouse, because... Yeah. At the beginning, it's kind of very unclear how Sookie's mind reading power works. So in the bar, like she was hearing everybody's thoughts. But then when she was at home with her grandmother and Jason, she wasn't hearing any thoughts. And so at first I thought she couldn't read family members' minds. And so since she couldn't read Bill's mind, I was like, oh, maybe Bill's one of her ancestors. Um, So that was me kind of like trying to piece together things until I understood that she has her defenses up around people she's close to and intentionally doesn't read their minds um, but she can when she wants to, which yes. is interesting. I like how they talk about the ethics of that. And, <laughs> you know, I, I want to hear more about that as we go through. I, I wonder if she ever kind of like completely loses control the way Buffy does in earshot and like yeah. zones out. <laughs> and goes a little mad. Well, one thing one thing I noticed. So I, I read one of the, the articles I was reading. So Alan Ball claims he never watched Buffy. He's never seen Buffy. He's never seen Angel. And I was like, really? Because one huge similarity I I saw was at the very beginning, the cold open, um, and how similar it was to Buffy's pilot cold open where they subvert your expectations. And again, it's something that I loved because remember I said earlier that um, I really love that this show was just like, forget everything you know about vampires right don't 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 rely on your previous knowledge because when we open the show it's like these two teenagers and they're getting they're getting something from the corner store and we think that it's the vamp that the guy working at the corner store is the vampire turns out it's just this like you know for lack of a better word southern i guess redneck (laughs) that's behind them buying that you think it's buying beer turns out he's buying true blood and he's not the kind of vampire that you think you're going to see. You think that the clerk is going to be the vampire. And that's one subversion. It's also the fact that the girl, like the, the teenagers are wearing white, like they're ve- wearing very light clothes. So automatically in my mind, I was like, oh, they're about to get sprayed with blood. Like something terrible is going to happen to them. <laughs> Nothing did. <laughs> right. But I think, I think that that's something that reminded me of when uh, we meet 
Darla and her victim at the very first scene of mm-hmm. Buffy's yeah. pilot where, oh, the girl's about to get attacked. Psych! She's the danger in this situation. So both shows did a good job of taking what you think is going to happen and switching it up. Do you recall if any Buffy actors show up in True Blood? I don't think so. Not that I can remember. That would be interesting. It would be very <laughs> interesting to watch. And I, you know what? I bet. I bet at one point somebody shows up. Someone can yeah. tell us. So a True Blood fan <laughs> can come and let us know. Okay, so overall... You, you've, you've said that you would keep watching True Blood. You're intrigued. Enough has happened for you to be like, all right, what's going on? Yes, I I will watch it with somebody else, with my friend. I think if Rebecca hadn't been enthusiastic about watching it with me, I probably wouldn't keep watching it by myself. It's not that I didn't like these two episodes. I'm just not sure I care enough about these characters and their story to keep watching. I'm very picky about what TV I watch. I liked these two episodes more than I disliked them. Like I said, the the sex threw me off. (laughs) Some of it was very hard for me to watch because of the connections I was making to my life and current events. And the storytelling structure kind of threw me a little bit. So for those reasons... It wasn't like I sat down, you know, once I finished the first episode, it wasn't like I was like, okay, yeah, like episode two right away, even though there's a cliffhanger, like they, they end both of these episodes on a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. And I remember like finishing episode two and I almost let it roll into episode three, but it was very late. I needed to go to bed. Um, And I'm like, no, you just agreed (laughs) to watch two episodes, Car. It's fine. But like they do a good job. I'll also add that. Every episode ends in a cliffhanger. <laughs> yes, I figured. They do a good job yeah. of that. I think that's really good of them. You got to come back. You got to come back. I, yeah. I think my opinion is this is a very well-made show. I can see that it was constructed and crafted very carefully. I respect and admire its craft. Did it grab me personally as a viewer? Not in the way that a lot of my favorite TV shows have. Certainly not in the same way as Buffy. You know, there are some humorous aspects to the show, but it lacks that glibness that Buffy has that I like so much, the snarkiness. I mean, Buffy has heart, right? And that's the benefit of having a coming-of-age story versus uh, let's see if Suki has sex, (laughs) you know? Like, I haven't felt the heart in episodes one or two of True Blood yet, Um, but Buffy, I think, has that young charm to it, you know? That's a really good point. Yeah, I I watch Buffy for Buffy and the characters Mm -hmm. and this this warmth that I feel when I spend time with them, even when it's a serious episode. Yeah. Yeah. And so far, based on these two episodes, I don't feel connected to any of the characters, except maybe the grandma, because like I said, she's amazing. I would watch a whole series of just Well, her. Gran has heart. Yes. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, yeah I, I don't really care about Suki and Bill. And when I say this, I'm not trying to say that, you know, people who do care about them are, are somehow weird. And I'm not trying to say that the show can't make you care about them. It's just in my particular case, maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I'll watch 10 episodes and I'll be like, I'm so invested in this now. <laughs> who knows? We'll check back in. But yeah, there, there's the way the storytelling in this show goes it's 
I don't know what, what the word is for it, but the way I connect to TV shows is different from the way this show wants me to connect to it. I would compare Buffy to a mug of hot cocoa and True Blood to a shot of tequila. <laughs> and the, like you both are different moods. Both are different vibes. Both are good I for different reasons. I only know what one of those tastes like. Well, that's what I'm saying. I feel like you like that's why Buffy's for you. Um, and like, hey, I, I'm sure later on we'll see the heart of True Blood. But I've seen most of the show and it's shock factor and it's the cliffhangers and it's the sensation okay. of it all. That's that's. That is why I, I think watch I know True why Blood. Rebecca likes the show now. Um, well, that's why I watch True Blood, right? And Buffy is like coming home, some nostalgia, some moments where you watch and you're like, oh, that didn't age well. <laughs> where True Blood is like, this thing is a wild ride. You know, this, this I, I is a wild ride. There is also something to be said about production values and how, you know, as an HBO show, even back in 2008, True Blood was very privileged. It had quite... Um, a large budget for a TV show, it could afford the actors, the sets, the variety of sets, the special effects in a way that Buffy never could because it was in a completely different era of television. I'm not here to be like, oh, you know, lower budget shows are better. But when you have a smaller budget, you have to lean harder on the writing and on the the actors that you have, which Buffy does, even when Buffy has cheesy special effects or unconvincing costumes, it carries through because the dialogue is crisp and the the action sequences are well choreographed. The music is on point. I'm not saying that's not true for anything in True Blood, but True Blood can fall back on its production values. Right, the the soundscape that we get of the crickets chirping during the Southern Louisiana Louisiana night, mm, um, yeah. the flashback sequences, all of that. So when there are weaknesses to the plot or things that don't quite add up in terms of the characters, it's a lot easier for us to forgive that or overlook it because of the production values. You know, I'm going to make a comparison that will probably offend or alienate some of our listeners, which is. I feel like True Blood, for me, is quite similar to Smallville, but just has better production values in that <laughs> it's a messy show that doesn't always make a lot of sense, and the characters are very melodramatic. Um, I There was a lot I enjoyed about Smallville. There was also a lot I didn't like, and I am so curious to see how my enjoyment of True Blood evolves as I continue to watch it. I wish Smallville was more like True Blood <laughs> because Tom Welling was a sexual awakening for me and Kristen Kruk is my idol. <laughs> so I wish that they were banging. I, I mean, Kristen Kruk was just completely underused in that show. Can we can we do a bonus episode on Smallville next? Because I have so much to say about Smallville. I love Smallville. We could, but at, at least 17% of it has to be us shitting on Allison Mack for joining a sex cult. No, half of it will be about Nexium, and then the other half will be about Kristen Kruk on Smallville. <laughs> Wasn't there a Smallville episode with vampires? I'm sure there was. There was a whole season about I witches. I feel like there so. was. Like, that's what I'm saying about that show is that show got weird uh, towards the end. That's there. it. We're throwing this episode up out the windows. Garbage. <laughs> this is trash. We're going to talk about Smallville. <laughs> so uh, listeners, please feel free to comment on any of the issues we've raised here. You know, we flagged a couple of things we weren't sure about. 
Uh, please try to avoid spoilers because, like I said, I am going to keep watching True Blood. I'm going to try my best not to be spoiled about things. Uh, I'll update you on the Discord and stuff as, as I continue watching True Blood. And then, yeah, in, in a year or so, we'll come back. We'll do another bonus episode to check in on how I'm doing. Um, and, Steph, you can kind of share <laughs> how many times you've rewatched it since then. <laughs> And Twilight. Uh, yeah, so please stay tuned for our rewatch podcast called Fang Bangers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> where Kara no. and Steph recap every episode of True Blood starting next year. That's what we're trying to say. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> One can dream. Oh. Before we go, we're going to thank our Buy Me a Coffee supporters. <laughs> and we're going to do it in a fun way this time. <laughs> Thank you to all of our supporters, especially our chosen ones. Lizzie. Emma. Hannah. Taza. Alexandra. Kyle. Kayla. Destiny. Brady. Erica. Justine. Allison. Lena. Jace. Julian. Haley. <laughs> See, I, I, I did, I put my podcast voice on for everybody. <laughs> so nice of you, Steph. We'll see you back with regular episodes in August. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch! See you next week!